I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Welcome to the Old Time Radio Westerns. I'm your host, Andrew Ryans, and today's episode is brought to you by Amazon.com. If you plan on doing any online shopping, first go to otrwesterns.com slash Amazon to start your shopping experience today. Well, this episode is going to be Horizons West. That's right, that continuing saga of Lewis and Clark. Today's episode is going to be the fourth in the series. Remember, there's 13 total, so this is number four. The title of this episode is Into the Unknown, and again, we have an unknown date, so let's get into it, and I hope you guys do enjoy this series. American West. Once it could have been the British, Spanish, or even the Russian West. It became American primarily because of the explorations of two young army officers, Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. Their pioneering journey stands as one of the great achievements in the history of the United States. Upset us in this wind. You wish to handle the boat, Savano? No, 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 but I want you to stop taking chances. My wife and my baby are aboard, and I cannot swim. Stop worrying, Savano. Cruzette is playing that sail as expertly as he does his violin. You'll get us extra miles today. Less hauling and falling when the wind dies away, Savano. Cruzette, want to play the fiddle tonight? Oh, that's just too. Captain Lewis wins up. I'll make you a bargain. Get us 25 miles, and you can play, the men can dance. Now order a gram issue to each man. <coughs> Cannon quiet. Both <coughs> that antelope, sir. Antelope, who's <coughs> there? the river. A good fat buck, sir. Can I send the dog after him? You would kill the captain's dog, Winslow. <coughs> Don't worry about Cannon, Governor. <coughs> pulled an antelope out of the river once before, before you join the expedition. All right, Cannon, go get him. <coughs> I don't know about you, Captain, but I'm tired of buffalo meat every night for supper. Will you look at that dog swim? Suppose the current switched him downstream to the opposite shore. That's Cannon. He'll come back to the boat. If he doesn't, we'll go help him. Look, look, he's got that antelope. Horizons West, the continued story of the Lewis and Clark expedition. Now with Harry Bartell as Meriwether Lewis and John Anderson as William Clark, listen to Chapter 4, Into the Unknown. April 26, 1805. 
It was three weeks since the Corps of Discovery left their winter quarters near the Mandan villages in what is now the state of North Dakota. Favorable winds had brought them over 300 miles up the Missouri into more unsettled country, unexplored by the white man. That night we made camp opposite the mouth of a river which poured swiftly into the Missouri. Billy Clark identified it as the Yellowstone from descriptions given us by the Mandan Indians. Along with the buffalo meat provided by George Driard's rifle, we had antelope for supper provided by Scannon, who lay by the fire. Yeah, Scannon. Do you want him to have that, George? Uh-huh. He earned it, Captain Lewis. No longer am I, George Driard, the best hunter in this call. <laughs> Oh, by the way, from now on, it will be wise to keep the dog close to you, sir. Uh, we are in greasily bear country. Scannon might make the mistake of going after one of them. He might. Right now, he's not afraid of anything. <laughs> Excuse me, Captain Lewis, but Krizat says we came 30 miles today. Uh, 28, by my reckoning. 28? Thank you, sir. Anyhow, Krizat uh, wants to know if we should get out his fiddle. 28's more than 25, isn't it? Yes, sir. Tell Sergeant Ordway to issue a drink to each man. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. You're letting them dance tonight? They need fun and relaxation. The minute the wind stops, they'll be pulling the boats upriver, and they won't have enough energy left to dance. You're right, Merriweather. George, the Indians say grizzlies are the most dangerous of all animals. The Mandans go in bands to hunt them. Rifleman uh, should do the same. A grizzly can keep charging even with a dozen shots in his body. Only a ball to the brain stops him dead. I suppose we'll have to go after a few of them in the interest of science. We'll need some specimens for Mr. Jefferson, at least the bones and the skin. The grizzly I saw this morning was at least eight feet tall, and I guess his weight is about uh, a thousand pounds. Excuse me, Captain Lewis. I brought a dram for George Gouillard. Thank you, Windsor. Thank you. Oh, where's mine, uh, with Captain Lewis? But Captain Lewis said it's a whiskey to the men. Officers aren't men? Well, yes, sir. I, I mean, no. You know, uh, Windsor, uh, officers can be human. Bring us some, too. <laughs> yes, sir. I hope they're having a good time. You can tell that by looking at them. Billy, it's kind of miraculous the way they can forget both past and future ordeals for the joys of the moment. The next day was without wind, but the current thrust at the boats with undiminished power. Billy Clark ordered men on the oars and the poles, and stout lines, some of rope and some of elk skin, were run from the prows of the boats to the shore, where men strained on them to pull the boats upstream. Men, put your backs into it. Because we all shared the work equally, I put my back into it, too. Watch it, Captain Lewis. Pretty pair up ahead. I know, Windsor. I'm heave. Heave. Oh. Backs into it there. Backs into it. I went through the prickly pair because it was the only path a man could follow and still keep the power of his legs and back into the tow rope. I felt the thorns jabbing through my tough buffalo hide moccasins and I almost indulged myself in the luxury of crying out in pain. Instead, I arched my muscles against the rope across my shoulders, and within a couple of hours I had forgotten the pain in my feet in favor of the pain in my lungs. All right, men. Try the boat. Take yourselves a rest. 
Windsor and I tied our boat and then flopped to the ground. Immediately, he got out his knife and began digging the thorns from his feet. Twelve of them, Captain. I sure hope the next stretch is muddy. Yes, uh, I got you beat by five, Windsor. Seventeen? Better hope it's muddy, sir. The following day, I stayed on shore to verify certain geographical features described by the mandat. Noting signs of bear, I armed myself with rifle, knife, and my esponso, a short spear hatchet issued to all infantry officers. I followed the Missouri to where a small stream tumbled into the main river from the north. Inland a few miles, it would be broken by rapids. If it was the stream the Mandans had named the Medicine River. I came across a buffalo cow. Not knowing how far away the rapids were, I decided to provide myself with food. It was a good clean shot which dropped the beast in her tracks, and I moved toward a potential lunch, supper, and breakfast. Then I heard the grizzly in turn. The sound of my rifle had angered the huge creature, and he was lumbering toward me. I swung my rifle upward, only to remember that I had fired it and had not reloaded it. I ran as fast as I could through the... The bear was about to run me down. I angled toward the rapids, death of a different kind, if I could plunge into them. In desperation, I dropped my empty rifle and presented the oncoming monster with the lethal end of my esponsor. For some unaccountable reason, or perhaps it was the intervention of God, the grizzly stopped, looked at me, turned, and ran away. I reloaded my rifle and moved on upriver. Once more, I sensed something stalking and caught a backward glimpse of a large, panther-like animal. I shot him dead. And then came upon a vast area taken over entirely by prickly pears. I had verified the river, I told myself. No use tearing my feet apart. I started back toward the main park. It was very late at night when I reached the sleeping camp, toting buffalo meat for myself and whoever else might want some for breakfast. Who goes there? Lewis, Meriwether Lewis. Come on in. Buffalo meat. You look worn out. I am. I verified the Medicine River and was attacked by a grizzly. You got him, obviously, or you wouldn't be here. He caught me with an unloaded rifle, but he changed his mind and ran away. After cornering me, too. I think perhaps the Almighty stepped in on my side. Meriwether, you are a lucky man. <laughs> I know. Had supper? No. Hey, let me fry you one of those buffalo steaks. You know, Billy, I think I'd rather fight two Indians any day than one grizzly. <laughs> I know I would. Big ones, anyway. I guess they all are when they're after you. Before I put on the meat, uh, how about a dram? I could use one. Well, I'll have one with you. I tossed a few sticks on the fire and watched the flames twist and dart and grow as they seized on the wood. As I do occasionally, I blessed the unknown human who first stumbled upon the secret of making fire millenniums and millenniums ago. Fire and the wheel, the two prime discoveries of man. 
Two thimbles and a bottle. Poor Merriweather. With pleasure. Billy, fire or the wheel? Which is the greater discovery? Neither. Whiskey. <laughs> Here's to your kind-hearted grizzly bear. With one swipe of a paw, he could have eliminated me. Here's to the paw he didn't raise. The hardest animal in the world to kill, and you with an unloaded rifle. Even if it had been loaded, I'd have had to hit him in the eye to drop him with a single shot. George Julliard did it once. No, I thought of that on the way in. I, I realize now what a tremendous feat that was. Master Hunter. I came to another conclusion about the grizzly. Hmm? The thing that makes him so dangerous isn't just his physical ability, it's his unpredictable nature. You mean his intelligence? Yes. You have to be intelligent to be unpredictable. I suppose he turned away because he didn't like my human smell. Well, it all points up one great need for men like us, men who go wandering out in the wilderness. What's that, Billy? A third or fourth great discovery or invention, a dependable practical repeating rifle. days, adverse weather conditions continued, and we were forced to use the tow ropes constantly. Every man in the corps limped about on sore and lacerated feet. Then, on May 14th, we were awakened by a breeze caressing our faces. Feel that, Merriweather? Praying it turns into a wind. Come on, everybody! Everybody up! On your feet! All right, let's go! By the time we pushed off from the shore, the breeze had quickened. Our sails filled, and we scudded along upriver. Any suggestions about playing sail, Chabonneau? More jerk, who's that? Surely you can increase our pace. Surely you can extract more from so brisk a wind. The wind held. By noon, we were sure it would hold the rest of the day and maybe longer. And Billy and I broke a rule which we had followed until this moment. We both went ashore at the same time to catch up on the botanizing. That's a fine day. I'll have no trouble with the boat. With this wind, we'll have to walk a good ten miles to catch up to their evening camp. In other words, look. I've never seen a grass like this. If it is a true grass. Hmm. Chief leaves. I'd say it is family graminea, all right, but... This particular variety is new to me, too. We better take a few specimens. Billy, it's a big white boat. They're in trouble. What? What's Charbonneau doing at the tiller? Into the wind, Charbonneau, into the wind. He, he can't hear you. We both continued to yell and ran down to the edge of the water, although those in the boat were too far away to pay us any heed. It was a frightening sight. Charbonneau made no move to control the helm and the boat at the mercy of the wind capsized. Oh, most of our medicines are in that boat. Then a fortunate gust of wind righted the large canoe and Cruzat, pointing what certainly must have been a wet pistol at Charbonneau, made him take the tiller and obey instructions. Look at Sacagawea. Calmly, the Shoshone woman held her baby in the crook of one arm and used her hands to scoop up and save articles which threatened to drift away from the partially flooded boat. While the men bailed, Cruzat browbeat Chabonneau into beating the craft. 
We ran down to the boat in time to keep Cruzat from attacking Charbonneau. Hello, dog, I'll break your head wide open. Stop it. All right, that's enough. That's enough. Yes, sir. I'm sorry, Captain, but you rush. You men, Fields, Lafarge, Shields, McNeil, unload the boat. Put out the gear to dry. Windsor, start a fire. Yes, sir. Cruzat, I want to know what happened. Well, sir, I, I was in charge of the boat. I suppose either you or Captain Clark told Sabano to take the helm. Riyar had it all morning, didn't he? Yes, sir. I assigned you to your post, Riyar. Why didn't you resume it after the noon meal? Well, Sabano uh, act like uh, he belonged there. He say it was his turn at the tiller. After this, nobody assume anything without verifying it. Is that clear? Yes, Captain. Yes, sir. Governor, did I say anything that gave you the idea I wanted you with that pillar? No, sir. Then why did you do it? Well, sir, both fascinate me. I want to be in them. I want to steal them. I'll be all right except for a fear of the water. If you ever touch the sail or the pillar of a boat again without orders, I'll have you shot. increased, but of course we were compelled to spend the afternoon drying the contents of the boat instead of sailing briskly upriver. Luckily, we lost only a few items, all metal. And by night, we had repacked everything and covered it against what proved to be a thunderstorm. We camped under a thick stand of trees. While fires were made and supper started, we were protected against sudden onslaughts of rain by the interlaced canopy of branches overhead. It had been a frustrating day, and the moment the evening meal was over, the men sought out their blankets, feeling wakeful, wondering how much we would have to endure before reaching the Rocky Mountains. I took the first watch. The camp was heavily asleep. I remained under the biggest of the trees where Billy Clark, George Zuyar, Cruzat, and several others were sleeping. Scannon lay near me. Scannon, be quiet. I want to wake the whole camp. The dog pushed to his feet. He stared at me, the tree, then back at me as if he were trying to tell me something. Now the men about me were beginning to get up. I am first Scannon and then me. What's wrong with that dog, Captain? I think we'd better get clear of the tree. Fast. Right, all the way, George. You're not in the clear. Get back! safety just in time as lightning struck the tree which came crashing to the ground. The noise awakened the entire camp. For a moment, while the others rushed to surround us, we who were directly concerned were silent. Then Cruzat managed to speak. Thank heaven we all got clear. It was Stannon. He kept at us until we moved. Mm. That dog knew? Some dogs have a perception like a sixth sense. From now on... Cannon gets the choice of the meat that I shoot. <laughs> the big dog stood there looking at us, his tongue lolling and his tail wagging. I showed him my approval by scratching his ears. And so did Billy. But the others just wanted to touch him. As if he was some sort of magic talisman. <laughs> Next morning, there was no rain, no wind. Back to the tow ropes again. 
Merriweather, hobbling on the sorest feet in the group, stayed ashore, moving slowly toward an upriver bluff which was determined to climb for a panoramic view of the area. Along about midday, when we had to stop to switch those of the oars with those of the tow ropes, we were near the foot of the bluff. Merriweather was on top of it, tottering a bit on his bandaged feet. Hello! Down below! Those who can, come on up! Suzette, Windsor, and I made the climb, and we weren't disappointed. Many, many miles to the west, we saw the shining, snow-capped crest of a rugged, youthful range of mountains. Well, look at that. Those the western mountains, huh? Indians call them the Shining Mountains, or the Rockies. Looking at them gives a man some hope. We are getting there. I hope we don't have to bowl the boats over them. Wait, did you feel that? Is there a wind coming up? Yes. Yes, I feel it too. All right, come on. Let's get back to the boats. Let's use that wind. Get a few miles closer to those snowy monsters. The evening of June 2nd, we reached a place where another river joined the Missouri, forming a sort of rough Y, with each fork approximately the size of the other. Looks like a problem to me, Merriweather, were to follow the Missouri, but which is the Missouri? At this time of night, I don't know. Let's wait till morning. It's going to be a hard decision, night or morning. Let's uh, bolster morale by asking Charbonneau to cook supper. Whatever weaknesses Charbonneau had, they had nothing to do with his culinary skills. Well-filled stomachs made us sleep easily, and we awoke to a morning which showed us our dilemma of the two rivers in bright sunshine. Now, whether both forks look about the same width, I judge they're about equal in volume of water. Either one could be the Missouri. We need to do a little reconnoitering. Most of the men are footsore and... Exhausted, we'll have to keep the Tennyson's parties at minimum strength. Five or six each. If you agree, I'll explore the South Fork with uh, York, Sergeant Gass, George Shannon, and uh, the two field boys. It's a fairly healthy group. Uh, I'll take Sergeant Pryor, Shields, Windsor, La Paz, Crusat, and Vuillard. Might be a good idea if Sergeant Ardway moves camp to the spit of land between rivers where men can rest and make new markers. Good, good. How far upstream do you want to go? Let's figure a maximum of four days. Well, that should tell us something definite. We assembled our respective patrols, and a few minutes after Billy Clark had started along the South Fork, I led my six men along the banks of the North Fork. This river seemed to be flowing in almost a north-south direction through open plains-type country. Reach the Missouri, Captain. It uh, looks like that. Same old Missouri mud. And the same old prickly pear along the opposite bank. Then you all think it's the Missouri because the water's muddy. But the bottom, too, is earthy and soft. If it is the Missouri, how do you account for the north-south direction, the way the Pacific is west? Sooner or later, it will turn west, sir. I wish I could be as certain as you are. George, you and Sergeant Pryor better move on ahead and shoot us some dinner. Yes, sir. What is your pleasure? Buffalo, elk, deer, bear, or waterfowl? How about prairie dogs? <laughs> what do you mean that, sir? You better get a few just in case there's nothing bigger available. Yes, sir. <laughs> As it turned out, Pryor and Riyar shot elk along with the prairie dogs, but plus the appetite or not, I found I preferred the latter. 
By the third day, I became convinced that the North Fork could not be part of our route to the Pacific. I know you all believe this river's the Missouri, but you're wrong. Well, then what is it, Captain? The one that the Mandans talked about, the river that scolds all others? No, we passed that one back a hundred or so miles. Uh, Captain Luis, uh, I will swear this is the Missouri. We'll take one last look. From the top of the cliff up ahead, if the river doesn't turn west, we're going back to camp. Uh-huh. Uh, Prior, you and Shields and Riyar stay here and build a raft. We can save time by floating back to camp. Yes, sir. Come on, Windsor, let's go. Yes, sir. We started up a slope that was cliff-like in its steepness. Gasping, we reached the halfway point of the ascent where the ground leveled off a bit. To the left of me was a deep chasm. When I felt myself going, I drove my espontoon into the side of the cliff and hung on. Slowly, I pulled myself back to safety, only to hear Windsor cry out, Captain, help! Windsor had slipped, too. He was lying on his stomach with his right arm and leg clawing at the air. The moment the strength in his left arm waned, he would plunge to his death. I eyed him, pretending a confidence I certainly didn't feel. Help me, Captain. I'm going to fall. No, you're not. Do as I say and you'll get clear. Use your right hand to reach your knife. Right hand, I said. All right. I got it. Now, dig a toehold for your right foot. That's it. Put your right foot in. Yes, sir. Now, shove upward to the left with both feet. Hard. Good. Rest a minute. Get your breath. And we'll find an easier way to the top. Thank you, sir. I thought it was all over. We made it to the top. Shading our eyes with our hands, we followed the progress of the river. It continued a winding course north with no significant turn to the west. Using a different descent, we returned to the river bank where the other four were grouped about a partially built makeshift raft, eyeing it dubiously. Ah, he's no use, Captain. There just is not enough wood here to make a seaworthy raft. On the way back to the main camp, A disagreeable trip because rain turned the earth into a particularly viscous mud beside the river. I spoke of the two rivers to the men. Each was convinced that this muddy north fork was the Missouri. It's carrying a load of silt from the Canadian plains. Silt from here, too, sir. It could make its western turn beyond where we could see from that hill. I stopped discussing the question because I knew that ultimately the decision would have to be mine and Billy Clark. It was another command decision and a crucial one. An error in judgment. And we could be taken many hundreds of miles out of our way. And by the time we retraced our steps, it would be too late in the season to attempt the crossing of the Rocky Mountains. Cold, wet, and tired, we reached the main camp two days late. After a warm meal and a chance to dry out, I was ready to attack the problem of the two rivers. Men... Move in here so Captain Lewis and I can talk to you. Yes, sir. About the rivers, uh, Captain Clark? That's right. That's right. I think we all know that a wrong decision could possibly cause the failure of the expedition. At the very best, it could delay our arrival on the Pacific coast a year. Serbano, did you discuss it with Sacagawea? Yes, Captain. We've spent much time talking. 
When she was stolen from her people five years ago by the Grosvent to a raiding party, uh, they stayed away from the rivers where they might find other Indians. They rode swift horses overland, clear to the Dakota country. She remembers no talk among her people about the tourists. No. No, but it is her opinion that the muddy one is the Missouri. Uh, for what it is worth, that is also my opinion. The six men who went with me also agree with that. Well, simply because the South Fork is clean and clear with a pebbled bed. Mm. That's not the Missouri they've struggled with the past year, but it does happen to be the Missouri of the mountains before taking on a burden of Plains Country silk. And it does head west. None of us wants to make a mistake, sir. None of us wants to fail any more than you. Since I got back from the reconnaissance with Captain Lewis, I've talked to everyone. Twenty-nine of us are in favor of the North Fork. Thirty if you count Sacagawea. You may be in favor of it, Windsor. But that doesn't matter. The decision has to come from Captain Lewis and me. Some of you may know that I have a fiancée back in Virginia. Miss Mariah Wood. Very attractive young lady. I've just named the North Fork Mariah's River after her, so it can't be the Missouri. <laughs> I, uh, I don't mean to say that your opinions don't count, because without you, there would be no core of discovery. What I do mean is that Captain Lewis and I have to live with the results of the decision, good or bad. That's one of the penalties of being an officer. We both want you to get as much rest as possible today. Tomorrow, we move west, up to Missouri. The clear south fork that leads to the mountains. The men thought we were wrong, yet they were determined to follow us. This loyal group was a far cry from the half-disciplined corps of discovery that set out from St. Louis over a year ago. Suddenly, I felt like a giant. Because of the men, we would make it. We would stand on the Pacific shore, and we would make it back to report our discovery. listening to Horizons West, the continued story of the Lewis and Clark Expedition. Chapter 4, Into the Unknown, starred Harry Bartell as Meriwether Lewis and John Anderson as William Clark. Featured in the cast were Carl Swenson, Sebastian Cabot, Don Diamond, Stephen Bell, and Dal McCannon. Our story was written by Carl A. and William Tunberg and directed by William Lally. Sound Patterns by Gene Twombly. Michael Rye speaking. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
welcome back. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Check out the show notes at otrwesterns.com. Send me an email, podcast at otrwesterns.com. Call, leave me a voicemail, 707-98-OTRDW. Again, that's 707-986-8739. If you look for me on Twitter, at otrwesterns, and Facebook, facebook.com slash otrwesterns. Until the next show, have a great day, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.